0: Welcome to the Developer Spotlight on the Full Dive Gaming Podcast. In the Developer Spotlight, we sit down with VR gaming developers, producers, writers, and we discuss their newest gaming titles. This week, we are sitting down with Eric Clyfield, Dan Clifton, and Nathan Frazier producers, developers of the Atlas Mystery VR game that's currently available on
1: App Lab. I want to say thank you, all of you, for coming on today. Great. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having us. My name is Eric Clyfield. I'm the writer of Atlas Mystery. So I came up with a concept. I I wrote the script for the narrative and uh, designed all the puzzles. So yeah, I co-produced the game with uh, Dan here and his uh, company Top Right Corner. So Good segue to you, Dan.
2: Yeah, my name is Dan Clifton. Uh, I own and run Top Right Corner, which I call an immersive content studio. We make original games like Atlas. We also do intense uh, sort of training in the XR space for very large companies and some governmental organizations. Um, and we also make education products uh, in XR. So we do a bunch of different things that's kind of ever changing. And we were very happy to, to work with Eric on Atlas.
3: Yeah, and I'm the, the lead developer. Uh The vast majority of things you see in Atlas, I threw in there and put together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you, all of you, for coming on. Uh, While we're saying some thank yous, of course, we need to thank our sponsor, Asterion Products. If you don't know Asterion out there already from the podcast, they make high quality VR and AR headset accessories. They've got their VR headset stand, the Aura. If you want to check it out, we've got links in the description, the show notes. And if you use code Dive 10 On Amazon, they'll save an extra 10% on all their products. Uh,
4: So I super thank you for sending the codes to try out the game. I actually finished the game last week, and I really, really loved it. One thing about the game is it gives you this just huge theater environment to sort of have this storyline unfold in, and has all these little pieces that all connect together and all little puzzle things. And sometimes an item from over here might actually give you a clue for over here. And I just, I really loved that about the game. And the other thing that I really liked was because of all the good control options and all just how the pacing worked what Mm -hmm. i actually did was i played the game with my girlfriend and i cast it to the tv and she would help me do the puzzles i'd be like reading the things out and showing the things and it just created one of these just extremely memorable experiences and uh you know what i had a really fun time playing through it and i think ultimately just the environments were really cool puzzles weren't too challenging it's just really well made game Thank you. That's great cool, to hear. Thanks.
1: Yeah, you're actually not the first person to tell us that they cast the the game to the TV and like played it with, mm-hmm. with like a partner or a friend or something. Like, that's been a really popular way to play it. So it's great to hear. Dang it. I did like the opposite.
0: I was <laughs> playing it and Nat had a tutorial up just in case.
1: <laughs> okay. Just
0: in case I got stuck somewhere. And then if I got stuck, I'd be like, hey. But for our listeners out there who don't know, they haven't heard of it, it's on AppLab. What is the Atlas mystery?
1: Yeah. So the Atlas mystery, it's, we describe it as an escape room style puzzle game set in a 1940s era movie palace. So the kind of story around it is that years prior to the start of the game, the theater was the site of this kind of Hollywood tragedy where a, a director was murdered in the lobby by kind of like a known gangster of the time. And now years later, you're assuming the role of this like newly hired employee who's kind of preparing the theater for this opening night under new ownership. So the game is all about kind of solving puzzles, unlocking kind of new areas of the theater, and then piecing together the events of, of what actually happens. So there's kind of this like murder mystery plot infused into the whole thing. Uh, we like to compare it to and we've actually heard a lot of people kind of compare it to games like The Room, VR, uh, Mist, I expect you to die as far as like you know, escape room style puzzles. Um, and there's kind of this cool element of like, I'm a big fan of like, like old Resident Evil games and that kind of thing where there's a lot of like, object scavenging and like, you know, finding documents and kind of things that alluded to this larger story. So we, we infused a lot of that in there where the narrative isn't necessarily like directly presented to you. It's a lot of like, the more that you kind of search and uncover, the more you kind of figure out about about the plot. And yeah, we've actually had a lot of people describe like going through the game again and kind of like, you know, discovering more things about the the story that they didn't really, you know, uncover before. So,
4: yeah. So I'm kind of curious, uh, the game has this perfect balance where you can sort of combine the teleport with the just regular movement and you can even click in the stick for like fast movement. And for me, like that's just it made the game so much easier to play. Mm mm-hmm. How'd you come up with this to, to do it this way? That was Nathan's stroke of genius, so... That's a Nathan. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, it's one of those things where every VR game has different controls. And, you know, it, it's so frustrating when you get into a game. and They're like, okay, well, this game you can only teleport. This game you can only move. This game, you know, you, you can't do X, Y, or Z. And, we, you know, I was kind of like, what if we just had all the options available at all times? You know, which for me is great because you know, as some players do in VR you know, you might get nauseous if you're moving around too much. And so for me, like, and I think even if Eric does the same thing when they play is for large distances, we teleport for small distances. We kind of just move the sticks. So we get that fine control of locomotion while also, you know, kind of cutting back on like the long parts of just moving forward for like a long period of time through teleporting. And some players might only teleport. Some players might only locomotion um but just having all the options there just hopefully becomes the standard honestly <laughs> yeah i think that's really wise and you actually
0: hit something earlier that i was really curious about you said it was like an escape room puzzler and of course in the oculus store you only have so many terms you're allowed to define the game with you know puzzler being or puzzle game being one of them but more in the reviews yeah. people kept saying escape room escape room escape room was that something you were going for and do you think that maybe we should have like a game genre that is considered escape room and not necessarily always just have to classify them as puzzler.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, think so. I would say so, too. And I think like on side quest, I know they do have like a very specific escape category, in addition to puzzle category, which is kind of cool, because we kind of like fit in both there. But yeah, I mean, early on, we were like kind of hesitant to just call it a straight up escape room, because it's like escape room kind of has a connotation to it that's like, you know, one single room that you want to get out of, with like, multiple levels that you might be able to select. And usually there's, like, a 60-minute time limit. And this was meant to be, like, a much bigger experience where there's no... Like, it's all just, like, a linear game. You know, there's no, like, real level aspect to it. And, you know, there's kind of, like, more of a like, exploratory element to it than, like, a typical escape room game. But, you know, I I mean, I call it an escape room game all the time, so...
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that, so to to go back a little bit, Eric and I met, we have a film background. We also own a film studio together that we work with. And so we actually met when Eric was working at Blumhouse and I made a movie. To cut a long story short, we convinced Blumhouse and the marketing department that Eric worked in to allow us to make a VR game.
3: And that was very much in
2: the infancy of VR. We, that was at a party in November of 2016, the movie and the game came out in 2017. So that was right sort of you know right when sort of early vive was out and everything else and that was an escape room game called belco vr which was really sort of the first foray that i had into non 360 video vr which i was doing creating content with and got out of that pretty quickly and so i think in terms of top right Corners dna and getting into vr i think the escape room kind of genre is something that we definitely wanted to piggyback on and although this isn't a turn-based or level-based escape room. You, uh, Like, I, I expect you to die. You mentioned how you can walk through pretty much the entire lobby, and obviously there's different levels that you kind of get into with the elevator. But it is different than those games. But we just found that even there's no real genre that completely defines it, I guess we just thought that escape room escape room puzzler is the best we could come up with. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's curious. that's
1: actually a, a great point about Belco because really the conversation for uh, Atlas came out of like Dan and I talking like over a year ago about like that was such a great experience. Like we still see even to this day people like picking up that game and downloading it. Like it's still it's still pretty popular on Steam. So you now it was created to promote a movie. It was like a fifteen minute you know, kind of demo experience of sorts, but really impressive and just really like really well done. So, you know, we, we were kind of talking and just brainstorming about like how cool would it be to do something that's like a much bigger experience, you know, like multi-hour kind of like puzzle escape room kind of thing. And yeah, it just so happened that, uh, you Dan's schedule, top right corner and everything like there was just kind of the perfect window to be able to jump into this really quickly.
4: So you mentioned that the other one you guys worked on the movie one was about 15 minutes long. And this, uh, this game, the Atlas Mysteries about two to three hours, do you kind of feel like that's the sweet spot for this kind of genre? Or were you kind of hoping to make it longer or even add like a conclusion, like a part two or something? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I do find that
1: to be for like, kind of single player puzzle narrative experiences like i do find that to be kind of the sweet spot personally um i mean we would love to expand the game in certain ways uh we've definitely talked about you know avenues that we would we would take to to do some dlc and and other things so yeah i mean I, i look back at kind of like the other games that are available on quest and you know our our idea was to to release this game but you know at a price point that was more accessible where people you know a lot more people could be able to play it and that you know once you get up to kind of like that 30 dollar price range it starts to get a little tricky to justify games of this length but we felt really good about where we we're able to end up and um yeah i think people have felt pretty satisfied about kind of where you know game length and all that bang for
4: their buck Lots of doors still. You guys could add anything you wanted to as well in the theater. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
2: it kind of comes down to whether or not you're going to have a longer campaign. And I think from a campaign single player mode, I think the two to three hours, some people breeze through it in an hour and a half, the speed runners, and some people take six or seven, right? But I think from a campaign perspective for this kind of game, it's in a sweet spot. But I think that if we add procedurally generated sort of DLC or something else, it kind of comes down to replayability and kind of balancing what those other factors are and how that fits into the genre of game that we've already set up, you know, whether you're setting up a different part of the mystery, if it's other background, there was ideas of having you actually witness part of the murder, um, or being able to even affect it in different ways. Uh, cause the game does get a little bit ethereal towards the end, but all those were a bit sacrificed because of, uh, time, money, and budget. So, um, you know, there are avenues that we'd like to to take it, but um, a lot of that speaks to some of the App Lab uh, versus main store and all the, all the other things I'm sure we'll get to later in this podcast. <laughs> true. Yeah, true.
0: Uh, I, I really had a good time with the game, something that I did want to point out, you know, for a puzzler game. This doesn't hold your hand. Other games, there are some games employ a mechanic where like if you don't figure out the puzzle in two minutes, the character talks themselves like, oh, I really should go look at blah, blah, blah. And this does not seem to do that at all. So how did you balance difficulty and enjoyability in the puzzles in the game for people who are new to puzzlers or people who are very used to them
1: yeah no it was tricky and it took a lot of just experimentation um but yeah like you know we we definitely had that mechanic i think in belco where if you were stuck on a puzzle for more than like 90 seconds or two minutes then you'd have like your character start saying some lines um a lot of people really liked that. And a lot of people, you know, kind of were like, oh man, I wanted to figure that out on my own. Like I was almost there. So you kind of do have to find that that balance. Like we talked about a hint system, but it, it ended up just not really being necessary, honestly, in all of our playthrough and, and kind of early, early testing and all that. Um, and yeah, like we, it, it just took a lot of experimentation. Um, you know, fortunately, like because of Top Right Corner, we had kind of a lot of people that were on other projects who weren't really as... You know, steeped in this game. So anytime we were kind of questioning whether a certain puzzle was too difficult or was too easy, we can kind of add them to the game and kind of throw them into it and just kind of see their their initial reaction. And yeah, we were just really open to feedback like during the kind of initial alpha test, um, there were certain puzzles that we just kind of completely rethought because we just saw repeatedly people were getting stuck on them um, even post release we there was one specific hint that we added into a certain puzzle that we saw you know during our initial like 24 hours there were just a little like few too many people getting stuck on it so we tweaked it by adding another element into the game to kind of help you know bridge was that it the candy bars logic. it was the candy <laughs> bars yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: That was, that was my question too. We'll keep it spoiler free. We're not going to talk about any of the solutions of the puzzles, but that one was probably one of the hardest puzzles. And I felt like later on, if that puzzle had been later, I kind of started to like, okay, this is kind of how the puzzles work. I started to get it more. I probably would have, but I, I did have to look something up on that one because it was like after, you know, five minutes or so trying to figure out, I was like, okay, I'm missing something here. Mm
1: -hmm. And I had
0: to look it up. (laughs) It weeds
2: you out early. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the make or break point for the game for everybody. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's something to say about that though. I think, you know, it is the puzzle. It's probably the one puzzle and not to give anything away, but if you don't get the core logic of how that sort of puzzle group fits together in that area, uh, you can go down the wrong path for five or 10 minutes if, the, if you don't get the core logic of what's happening and, or the other clues that the other puzzles in that group uh, give you to kind of clue you into what you're looking for in the candy bars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is, it is tough. Um, and I think with the candy bar puzzle, it's sort of a thing where that is about half an hour into the game. And there's something to be said about ramping up, Nathan, you probably have thoughts on this too, but like ramping up and having that, like, you know, having the puzzles get incrementally more, more, difficult, but it was almost nice to have something difficult happen 30 or 40 minutes in to almost allow people to kind of get over a hump. So I kind of go back and forth on, on what's the perfect place for a, something of that difficulty.
3: Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that that one in particular was one that we honestly had no idea how hard that was going to be. <laughs> like, because, you know, when you, when you see the design document and you're like, okay, that makes sense. I, I understand like the logical steps of that. Um, and so it seems pretty simple when you already know the solution. And we just watched, you know, we watched some streamers play it and stuff and we're like, oh, like none of them are making this, this connection that we thought was like, you know, going to be very simple. And we're like, okay, let's go back. Let's, let's add like at least a little bit of a hint, um, and kind of make things a little bit more obvious. And, and we still know it's going to be kind of challenging, but it does kind of help, you know, like, okay, this type of game you're going to have to look at everything, you know, like you're not just going to be like, okay, what can I interact with? This must be it. You're going to have to kind of look at everything to figure it out.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
3: It almost, it almost forces that
2: perspective on things. Whereas I think that it's almost good to have something, you know, you get out of the tutorial space, there's a bunch of different puzzles before that, maybe three or four, but it kind of forces you at that point to really consider all the different options and to truly look at every single piece to try and figure out what the logic of that is. And so it is almost good having that early because then after that puzzle, you go into this large lobby area where there's tons of puzzles and some interact with each other, some are siloed. And so we just thought that that was a good way to really kind of almost like force, uh, maybe weed out people who couldn't do it, but really force people to kind of up their game at that, at that point.
1: Yeah, and then very diehard escape room fans uh, always tell me that the candy bar was their favorite puzzle. Um,
2: <laughs> so
4: tell
1: me like, when wow, you read really? the solution,
4: okay. it makes sense. Like, it's like when you see the solution, you're like, oh, this is so obvious. Why didn't I see this? Mm-hmm. But just get into that one part because you're just, I don't know. I, I kept thinking that the five cents on it meant the Roman numeral five, and I'm like, why isn't this working? Do the <laughs> right, yeah. No, it makes sense. <laughs> but... And yeah, I mean, it's it, it's tough. I mean, designing like,
1: I, I just think that escape rooms work so well in VR. Um, yeah. Like the medium is just like perfect for that kind of thing. Uh, you know, when you do a real life escape room, you can ask for a hint pretty much at any point, And there's, you know, an employee there to kind of like usually give you like a themed hint or something. So, you know, it's just, you, you just have to approach it differently and you have to like, you know, design puzzles kind of in a in a slightly different way that just kind of you really have to because i've done real life escape rooms that are just like you know there's certain things where i'm like oh my god like that was such a logical leap like that was (laughs) you know really pushing it and this you just have to really pinpoint and be like very precise about that that kind of stuff
4: So, so so speaking on a more like design element the game has this backpack you can pull out of your the back of your shoulder and i've had the same kind of backpack as in the walking dead saints and sinners but the first time I ever played with this kind of backpack was they had like a chest version of it in Shadow Legend DR. Mm. Uh, Where was the inspiration to add that into the game?
1: Yeah, I think that was Nathan's suggestion, right? I think you. Uh, you can yeah, have, uh, we need an
4: inventory system. This is yeah. not going to work. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Eric designed everything, but as I was like creating it. Uh, I quickly realized there's a lot of pieces, to some of these puzzles, you know, and stuff. And sometimes you feel like I don't want to, you know, you have two hands, you can hold two things, you know, and stuff. So it's like, if there's a piece of a puzzle that requires four things, you don't want to have to go back and make multiple trips. You know, definitely with how big this theater is, making multiple trips will always feel a little bad. Definitely when it's not like a fun going back, like you might go back and be like, oh, now I know how to solve this. That's like a fun going back, but going back just, because you have to get items and you can only carry two at a time is not fun. So it was actually pretty like, maybe like halfway into development that we're like, we need an inventory system. And yeah, this is just kind of one I've seen before. It's one that works. It's one that doesn't require a crazy amount of tutorialization because you know we wanted to keep our t- tutorial very simple. We didn't want to have to like go through a huge tutorial where we spoon feed you tons and tons of info. So we're like, okay, what's a very understandable tutorial? You know backpack you put stuff in it you take stuff out you don't need to like mess with any menus it's just very kinetic in that way and um and yeah it it worked for what we needed it to do
1: yeah you know one thing that surprised us too is like you know we we actually designed blueprints for pretty much the entire theater so you know early on before we really even built anything we had kind of like the entire layout of all the different rooms and how they connected and like spatially where they would align and all that which changed a little bit, you know, during development, but we pretty much had the core idea of like where everything was going to go. And then, you know, we start building it. And then once you actually get into the environment in VR, you're just like, this is huge. (laughs) Like this theater is massive. (laughs) And you just like underestimate just like the amount of kind of traveling around that you're going to do. And, you know, it's kind of typical uh, just development design stuff. But yeah, it was really just like finding that mechanic that kind of helped, you know, just ease gameplay a little bit.
4: The other thing I noticed too, is that if you, so the elevator, for example, you couldn't take items that were in your hand from downstairs to upstairs on the elevator that seemed to, like, disappear. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't have the backpack, you wouldn't be able to transfer some of those items anyway. Was that part of the choice in the backpack, too? Or did you guys just sort of... just bonus Yeah, the, the- like, the objects
1: kind of saving system for everything was was probably the biggest hurdle to have to figure out in this game because there's so many objects. You have kind of free reign of going to all these places. So there is, like, I think... A surprising amount of just like back end holding with the game that you might not even really expect because there is kind of an element of like if there's a paper that you don't realize is important to a puzzle and then you decide to like take it all the way to the other end of the theater, drop it, forget about it, you go back to the room. Uh, you know, are you going to even remember that paper? So there's certain like subtle elements that kind of kick in every once in a while to just kind of like nudge you in the right direction.
4: And it's a lot of that... Yeah. There, was, there was one instance I had that the... Uh, there was an item that I had that I put on my face. I'm not going to say what the item is because I don't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. But I guess I opened the backpack to put it away at the same time it was close to my face, which it just seemed to disappear. But I just went to the main menu and right back into the game and there it is back in my inventory. Took like yep. five seconds. There was no issue at all, and you know the checkpoint system is just amazing in the game for doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, that
1: was a lot of just trial and error on Nathan's part,
2: and uh, well, well,
1: just thank you. It is it
2: is that thing that is like so it like seems so simple on paper, but that is kind of um, not that it's easy to make anything like look good and have it be fun in VR. But those kind of back end things are really where you spend most of your time, especially mm-hmm. towards the end. <laughs>
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I um, yeah, getting all that to work was, was was a pain. And we definitely designed it in such a way where, you know, with escape room type games, it's so important that nothing breaks. And, and if you do have something that breaks, you need a way to reset it, you know, and stuff. Because sometimes with definitely with VR, because of the nature of it, where you can move your hands and try to like glitch yourself through a wall more easy than a normal game, we, we, had, we had to put some sort of system in where it's like, okay, what's a fail safe where if the player does something that we didn't expect and something, you know, a, a piece is missing, we know that they can always, you know, quit out to the main menu, come back, and that'll fix everything. Like that'll make sure that they have everything they need. That anything that they threw outside the map somehow, due to some crazy, you know, physics thing, that that's now back in their inventory, um, that they're now placed back inside the map. If they glitched out the map, like we wanted to make sure that y- you know you never run in place where like, oh well, I can't finish the game anymore, <laughs> and uh,
2: like that. Is yeah, if, if, <laughs> if you, if, out you for everything. Somehow, if you somehow catapult yourself out of the map while holding the backpack while grabbing an item and throw it like there, there are things that you can like, you can do at the same time that there's always going to be something that you can't predict. And, and until you, you can test it so thoroughly. And then you, you watch a, a streamer on day of release, uh, have it come out and people will always do something that's, that's you're like, I never thought of that. Um, but it's all you oh, can yeah. do really to try to, 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 especially in VR because of some, some of the glitchy nature of certain things. So, we tried to think of all those things, and I'm just glad that the checkpoint system, I'm glad that that internal logic and, and what we did on the back end, you know, really made the, the game and experience a, a good one for you guys. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, it got crazy. I mean, like, even during, uh, I, we spent many long nights just in the headset, just trying to break the game, just trying to do as many crazy things because we just know that, like, You know, players are going to do just unpredictable things. And, you know, it got to the point where we were like, you know, if you're able to somehow get through a wall, then you're skipping like 30 minutes to an hour of the game, which is just, you know, like can't have that happen. So we'd be like, okay, like let's say like the player stood up against the wall and then let's say they moved out of like the boundaries of their, you know, Oculus Guardian. You know teleported all over the place like are they going to actually be able to get out of the wall like we just had to account for even you know things that like are you know kind of like outside the scope of the hardware too so
2: yeah little little yeah, things you, like you that. reset your guardian and you saved it at a certain point reset your guardian came back uh and then would you be in a different place could you glitz through a wall i mean these are all these are all fun parts of vr development oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow, something
0: that other people don't have to deal with in regular development. You're kind of touching mm-hmm. on now, but I was curious. I mean, you have a, you have a whole team we're seeing here. What does it take to bring a game like this to the market? How much
2: time? How much development? What's the cycle like? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, as Eric said, not everyone in top right corner worked on this. We have a team now of of it's almost it's grown to almost twelve now of different people, which is oh, kind wow. of insane. Um, it's oddly, oddly legitimate, uh, getting there. <laughs> but um, you know, as I said, we work on a bunch of different things, and I think when when this had started, we definitely had less people because we started in like mid July of last year. And you know, I give Eric, um, you know, really all the all the credit for essentially taking a month and a bit to finish that game design document. You know, you had that version in July and August of last year.
3: Yeah. We
2: worked through a bunch of different things. And then we didn't really start a lot of core development until late August of last year. We did have our art director, Andre, start to break up the models that we'd have to create uh, versus purchase. And pretty much everything actually was created from scratch. There's a few key things that were turbo squitted and then completely optimized, but it was... Pretty few and far between. Pretty much everything was made from scratch to be optimized for Quest, which, again, we'll get to. Um, but in terms of the timeline, I think, Nathan, you started really in late August, early September. And, you know, with holidays, um, you know, in December and everything else, it really almost was a six and a half, seventh seven-month max timeline because we were still doing some fixes in April. We put it out April 13th, but really it was September sort of through uh, September through, uh, you know, late March with some, some time off. So really like six and a half months, which is pretty, pretty insane. Yeah.
4: So, so with that being said, uh, obviously you guys have dropped five patches already to fix, you know, whatever things are going on. Uh, do you see this being a project you're, you're going to keep working on to continue adding more things or what's the future with this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of that was just to fix like typical, you know, release day, kind of like hot fix stuff uh, that you just, you know, pop up kind of once you push it out wide and see all the different hardware combinations and everything. And then, yeah, I mean, we immediately wanted to support it in other ways, too. Like we did uh, achievements, we added achievements across all platforms. So, you know, Oculus, Steam, uh, Viveport, and yeah, some things were just minor fixes like wanting to add or minor additions I should say like wanting to add like audio controls you know we, we found that like a lot of streamers and a lot of content creators wanted the ability to like turn off music but keep you know objects like interaction noises and all that kind of stuff so yeah it was it was a lot of that and just kind of addressing you know making it as like kind of friendly you know user friendly as possible in that way but yeah I mean it's something that we want to keep working on for sure and just improving in certain ways you know like I mentioned, would love to be able to do some some DLC, and you know there were actually certain uh, rooms that we had to cut completely. So there were other environments in the theater, and there was actually one kind of major environment that would have been really really fun. Um, and there's kind of like built-in puzzle potential in it. That's like another theater environment we just weren't able to do and had to cut a little bit. So if we get the opportunity to expand it, I would absolutely just like go there first and. Then we have some other kind of like uh, crazy, uh, like kind of like leaning more into like supernatural kind of trippy versions of of like where we'd want to take it to. Um, but all of it is playing into this like larger, you know, narrative of, of the murder.
2: Yeah. And I think that with this initial release, you know, we designed this to be released on Quest 2. So we put a ton of effort into optimization and to getting it there on Quest 2. It's not that the PC VR version was an afterthought. It's just that we knew that we could do that based on our previous releases and our previous experience. So the PC VR version is a lot more forgiving because of the resources that are available for that, where the Quest is a cheap phone strapped to your head, and it's a miracle that it works as well as it does. So, so much effort went into making the Quest 2 version work that a lot lot of the hot fixes that came out were very much in the vein of, wait, why why does this not work on... Valve, you know, on the index that's being used with ViPort, or why is this not work on this specific thing that was a little bit outside so was outside of our control from a hardware perspective, and then was also some low hanging fruit. But I think a lot of the hot fixes have actually predominantly affected some of the um, some of the Steam VR components versus because you're you, you're you can't control for hardware and you can't control for you know device with that. So a lot of times there was odd permutations of hardware and device that necessitated those hot fixes. Whereas I think the quest for the most part has actually been pretty down the middle um, because we tested it so much and because you can control for, for hardware with the quest. Um, I don't know, Nathan, if you want to speak to some of those changes.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we did a lot of fixes and we, we hope to do you know more stuff as time goes on. Like Eric, you know, kind of mentioned some expansions that we had planned and some stuff that I've you know, even built out a decent bit of it already. But we just didn't have, you know, the time to kind of add all that in and make it as polished as the rest of it. Um, and, yeah, know, I, I, to me, I, I think, you know, one of the funniest things that took us so long to fix was the fact that, you know, with, with <laughs> the European thing that we kind of figured out is that, you know, a lot of people in Europe, you know, uh, their number system, you know, they use commas for decimal points instead of periods, you know, which I'm not sure if everyone knows but that caused like a huge loading bug <laughs> where like oh. european players were like spawning way outside the map due to the you know their different numbering system and us just completely going over our heads that that would be like a thing and that was like in our latest you know the, the last patch we put in because for a while we were like this makes no sense and players you know when they report bugs they don't report hey i'm from this country mm-hmm. so it was kind of hard to narrow down like what is causing certain players to have this random bug that none of us can reproduce here, uh, yeah, and then we figured it out, and it was yeah
2: for a while. The only negative reviews we had on Steam were only German and French people Ooh. that kept complaining <laughs> how buggy the game was, and I think still we're now so confused. Pretty, pretty much, the, like the only uh, negative re- reviews we have are that and we, we were like, "Hey, we fixed it. Please change it." you know
1: but yeah we came up with some like insane workarounds for that too which like you know i mean really clever nathan but like having the game detect if someone moved like x amount from a certain location and then teleporting them back and you know little workarounds like that but yeah that was one of those things where once nathan brought it up it was just like oh man you know <laughs> game development
0: that's uh that's so interesting. Sometimes it's like, okay, don't don't go back and rebuild the system. Just find a new fix to work around the bug. Uh you you talked about there, you're on Steam, so PCVR can get this. You're on Quest 2, but it's technically through App Lab, which I'm not familiar with really what it takes to get on App Lab. I'm guessing that most developers, the like main end goal is to get on the main. Quest Store. Do you want to kind of walk us through what does it mean to be on App Lab versus the Quest Store? What does it take to make the jump?
2: Yeah. So we don't know actually what it takes to make the jump from App Lab to Main Store because uh, Meta refuses to publicize that. But I think you know mainly like App Lab, unfortunately, is sort of the the AAA affiliate. It is sort of the minor leagues. Um, but you know, really for getting on, you know, there's 15 million Oculus Two headsets that are on the market apparently. And which is pretty crazy how, how much they're actually used and how many people actually use them is a different question. But it is the main, if you want to make money and you want to keep developing, like you need to ha- be on that platform. Um, so App Lab is essentially a way where uh, developers can submit to get their program, to get their game on uh, something that people can access somewhat publicly on a Quest 2. And it really came out of sort of the side quest movement, which was you had to be submitted to get on the Oculus Quest store. Um, And then the side quest was sort of that kind of homebrew side loading technique. And then meta sort of threw developers of bone in their eyes to get onto App Lab. Um, But I think one of the misconceptions about it is, you know, first of all, A, if you search for our game on the main store or just in general, it is incredibly hard to find because you actually have to scroll through all these other games. If you search for Atlas Mystery, you will find it, but you have to scroll all the way down and pass several like big warning signs that says, you are you are leaving. You are leaving meta territory. Like the map ends. You know there be dragons. You go cross, cross all of that, and it says these games are not tested. We don't know. But what's so insidious about it is that when you search for our game, it actually gives you all these other main store puzzle and escape room games. It'll list those first before you get to ours. So you know the other misconception is that meta makes you believe that games are not tested before they go onto App Lab which is actually not true at all. Like it took us two months of testing, frame rate, polish. There's actually a quite an extensive testing process that we had to go through in terms of optimization, especially with art and frame rate, even to get onto App Lab. And there are certain games that are on the main store that completely fail that in general. So I think, you know, our biggest gripe right now with, with Meta, and we could evangelize on that for, for hours, <laughs> But is that there's really, there's really no consistency of the quality of games that are on the main store. And then you have a game like ours on App Lab that no one can even find. Um, And even uh, Eric, you can speak to that a little bit too, about, about people who can't even find it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And like,
1: you know, I, I've lost count of the number of times that like, you know, we've done like even on other podcasts and reviews and just like correspondences that I've had with players is they're always asking like, oh, why isn't the game in the main store? And we just kind of have to be like, I, I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> um, it, it's not not a very, yeah, transparent system. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the biggest issues is that I get almost every day now um, DMs from like on my Oculus account from players who are just you know people who are interested in the game or just have seen stuff that we've posted online on reddit and all that kind of stuff and i just say like i like i don't know where your game is like i can't find it is it on the store like how do i get it and it's it's <laughs> i have like now just like a copy paste block of text that's just like you know <laughs> type the atlas mystery into you know the, the oculus store scroll to the bottom click through the app lab button ignore the oh. warning sign and, you know, there's there's the store page. So, yeah, it's <laughs> tough. I mean, we're lucky that we have, like, SideQuest is still a very, you know, very active community, and they've been very supportive of the game, and we've gotten a lot of people just discovering the game through that platform, which has been nice. Um, but, yeah, it, it's definitely, like, it, it's tough because there's just so much stuff out there. There's so much competition and all that. So just adding those, like, extra layers of difficulty just to, like, finding and accessing a game, it's just you know, it can make all the difference, and it's been tough to to work through.
2: I know so we I sound like actually- better developers too, but I think <laughs> that it, it's really because of the the hypocrisy of of you know, I've spoken with people at Meta, and they're like, no, oh, App Lab is is a great place for people to find games, and it's a great like testing ground for. And I just I tell them, I'm just like, I'm worried about like if that's your philosophy, given how out of touch it is with reality, I'm a little worried about Meta's future in general, you know. Um, because Apple's just going to destroy them with that kind of line <laughs> of thinking, um, which is probably going to happen anyway. But it's so insane how they—we're uh, not incentivized at, at all as developers to add stuff to the game. I wish we could say yes, we're going to roll out all these things. We have made money off of this game, you know, if people there are playing sense. it. But, but because, I mean, so we've we've grossed money. We've not, uh, we've not <laughs> money. But, but we have a way of 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 get. You know, we have a way of selling the game. The thing is, because there's no transparency at all about reaching people and people on a main store, people can't even find the game. We're not incentivized as developers to make more quality content because we have no path forward and have no idea. So what are we going to do Just keep spending money to expand a game that, you know, we can't get to people. It's, it's not a good proposition. Well, don't so, worry, you're not
0: you're not at risk of sounding like bitter developers. You're talking to two YouTubers here. So the lack of transparency <laughs> in what we do is is something yeah. we understand. <laughs> Lip, I think you had another question for him.
4: Well well, the thing is that I remember when Warplanes hit the official Oculus store and they basically said, Okay, this is what it takes, 200 five-star reviews is what it takes apparently to get onto that point. But I've seen like there's even there's a game that was released on PlayStation VR and PC VR sold immensely well i think it's one of the top 10 best-selling psvr games and it's coming to app lab oculus did not approve it for the oculus store and that's swordsman but Uh. it seems like they are just so strict and they just don't want it like unless unless you have like a unique game that just hits their check marks that they don't have like a game like that already it feels like they're just so resistant to letting anyone go on the store and like it took smash drums like the better part of a year to get on there and it's like it's so hard because you know a year from now are you are you still even working on this project if it hasn't made you money right now you guys have a 4.4 out of 5 star rating on the on the oculus store do you think part of that is is you know oculus quest one users that are having technical issues with frame rate and things like that or how, how do you feel about that whole review system in terms of the one headset versus the other headset and and getting to that point.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think from like a review standpoint, that's been the thing is that, you know, the players that have been able to, to, to like access the game and play it, like we've gotten great reception just like across the board um especially from people that you know are fans of of puzzle games and escape room games and you know like that's kind of been the thing is like we specifically going into this we were like well we definitely you know we know that people that like games like the room that like games like mist that like games like i expect you to die like we know that they're going to to like this kind of thing and you know people have really responded to just like the atmosphere and the theme and you know we poured a lot of resources into developing a great soundtrack to just like really add to the immersion and all that um and yeah you know it's but it's tough to get people who uh have played you know those games and who really enjoyed those games to even kind of like acknowledge you know see this one and kind of like the exposure is always just kind of difficult uh not to go back to to that, and, <laughs> well, think, that to much.
2: your point to your question though i think you know we had we have one two-star review. Um, we have a bunch of four-star reviews that came out like the first week. And I think as we we have pushed a few hot fixes that did change a few things. I think our reviews lately have actually been more in the four, seven, like four, six, seven range. And so I do think over time, if we can drive more traffic there, I do think that will prove out, you know, over time um, to, to get that up. I, I do think there's a bit of a thing where, and people have almost said this in their reviews that, because it's on App Lab, it's almost like it's it's okay to rate it lower because they're like, well, it must be unfinished, you know. Um, <laughs> so that that could be a bit of a confirmation bias. But I I think you know all we can do is all we can do is market the game. All we can do is try and get more five star reviews and and try to 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 get it there. We're sort of in that vicious cycle though, and I think a lot of developers. Are probably in that that position where you know unless you are a main store game, it's it's very hard to make money. You know, I think that um, because you know unless it's completely homebrew of just two people making a game at home, and it's really just sweat equity. Because unless you actually can make those those changes, and it might be you know if Meta came out and said, "Hey guys," because this is usually how when we do other things for other clients or other people, if Meta came out and said, "Look." we would put it on the main store if it had a Spanish, if it had language support, if it had this, if it had, um, you know, other support, if if it did X, Y, and Z, we could do that if it was very like an ipso facto kind of situation. But because there's no transparency on whether it's the amount of reviews, the amount of plays, the amount of accessibility, since we have no idea, like we can't really just sink time and money into guessing. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that about the reviews, because I read all of your reviews and there
0: were so many that was like, this game has amazing music. The lighting effects when areas light up are great. It's really immersive and creepy. Really loved it. Four stars. And I was like, why are so many people four-starring this game when they give this rave review about it? Uh, I, I really yeah. <laughs> enjoyed the music, the soundtrack. It was so immersive. Like, it kept drawing me in. And you mentioned earlier that you'd run a horror film studio, and I felt like, okay, now it kind of makes sense. Was there anything from the horror side that you really brought into this? Because you created such an atmosphere. What did you bring over from that you had learned before from that?
2: I don't, hide the shark. I don't know. It's. Uh, it's <laughs> I think there's so many in VR. I don't know. I think we 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 wanted to do more jump scare things. We wanted to do more th- certain you know certain things. We also knew we wanted to avoid animation and different different things that would be extremely resource and time intensive so i think like the main thing that we did was just create super creepy atmosphere you know whether you see silhouettes of mannequins or other things like there's there's things that you see that you're just like i don't want to go down that room and you almost like psych the the player out more than if you are constantly seeing scary stuff so it, it's more of an atmosphere people continuously say that they feel like they, they're being watched the entire time they're in the theater. Um, so. I don't know, guys. What do you think? What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. It's like using just a
1: lot of like really simple kind of cinematic tricks, like like the lighting. You know, obscuring a lot of things in shadow. Um, you know, le- since we don't have the didn't have the resources to do really complex animation. You know, certain things like picking up a script page and then reading it and it implying that they are being watched and starting to kind of like plant those seeds in your head. Like it, it all kind of contributes to the experience. And yeah, it's so funny watching streamers. Play the game because there's like a certain point and like you know trying to avoid spoilers here where you do like uncover this kind of like secret area which is kind of like uh has to do with the projector and it's this kind of like you know kind of screws with your mind kind of moment and every time they like unveil that new area they always like hesitate at that moment and they're always just like oh i'm not going down there like no way and then like 30 seconds later of course they're like slowly walking through and yeah a lot of it was you know, from film experience too, um, you know, sound is is everything. So we did pour a lot of resources into, you know, w- when things are getting intense, we, you know, kind of subtly kick in a lot of like, really like low frequency, kind of creepy sounds to start, you know, kind of putting you on edge a little bit. Um, we put a lot of effort too into just the overall design work. So as you go around the theater, like, everything from like the candy bars to just like soda labels to film posters and you know kind of everything in between um you know we brought on this this really great illustrator uh ronnie centeno who like really specializes in just like product design of that era um so like every every direction you look there's just like you know kind of subconscious like callbacks to to that era to just really make you feel immersed so yeah i think like from the film side it's just it's an eye for detail. And it's, you know, just trying to kind of get the most that you can out of the limited resources you have.
4: I was on edge the whole time. (laughs) Well, I think especially at the starting when you're doing that first puzzle thing and the whole area is all dark outside of that, you know, the candy and whatever thing. And you can see the eyes, you know, faintly in the background. And, you know, and then there's the atmospheric sounds you hear, you know, is that someone breathing? Is that You know, is that something wrestling is always that sort of sense of mystery in that sense. But uh, I was kind of curious, though, with your studio, do you have any previous or future projects you wanted to tell us about? I know you mentioned some of the things, but uh, I don't know if you're working on a new game or what your plan is going forward. Yeah, one
2: thing we're working on, obviously, we want to expand Atlas. We want to keep putting it on different platforms. And we're actually uh, looking into getting you know looking into psvr2 and some other stuff we just want to get it out there as much as possible um one project uh even though nathan is in houston eric is in la i'm primarily primarily based in new orleans where a lot of the team is and so we are working on this recreation of the french quarter in vr and not quite the the saints and sinners version but sort of a like one-to-one model um of of the French quarter. And so we have, there's sort of like a scavenger hunt. It's not like completely history based, but it's sort of a scavenger hunt arcade type puzzle game that takes place um, in a one-to-one model uh, of the French quarter where you can, you can explore different stuff. And then you're sort of picking up scavenger items from each building. And that relates to a moment in history, but also relates to someone who lived at that building over time. And Uh, a cool effect uh, that's actually based a little bit on something in Atlas where you put something up to your face that changes perspective. But Nathan, on Friday, even you're perfecting a system where (laughs) you can effectively uh, time travel um, throughout different eras by holding different things up to your face. Um, So I don't know, we're trying to, uh, we're going to put out maybe a first commercial version of that in about two months. That's like early access. That's kind of just, messing around and I think that'll probably be on steam only to start it might be on quest depending on a few things but that's something that that we're working on is sort of a uh, it, it's a you know it's a, it's a scavenger hunt sort of puzzler rather than an escape room it's more of like an exploration each building has a certain kind of uh, sort of uh, arcade aspect to it so I don't know Nathan if you want to talk about some of uh, the time traveling stuff you were doing the other day
3: yeah yeah i mean you know the the whole thing about this one and and which is you know one thing he mentioned about not sure if it's going to be on quest is that it's beautiful like it is you know it's not that atlas uh, isn't i'm just saying yeah atlas is is great but you know we're doing like a whole block right now that we currently have built um with all these buildings with all this detail and i mean I, i don't know if you guys have ever seen the french quarter they have some amazing designs on their buildings um and we have like an interior of one of the buildings made and you can go inside and, you know, like you mentioned with the time travel, you know, put up these different objects to your face and you kind of see the environment as it was in 1920, as it was in 1860. Um, and it's just so seamless. Like you're just time traveling very quickly. Um, and yeah. And, and so the reason we don't know if it's going to be on quest is because it's just so much <laughs> in it that, you know we could put it on quest it'd be a lesser experience than on pc so we're kind of still touching on that whether you know it's going to be on that but uh yeah no we're definitely excited to show that off just for the pure art aspect of it as well as some of the fun gameplay elements we're going to do and we have a lot of uh ideas of fun little you know like like you mentioned kind of arcadey things you might be able to do in the game they're just fun you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's the same Um, kind of open map
2: thing It's, it's it's like you know it's like with atlas we make it hard on ourselves because it's not level by level, but like, you know, you're in this block and you can teleport to any balcony you can really like see. And it's a one-to-one recreation. So, you know, I've actually been to some of the balconies and I've actually looked down the block at different times of day with, and it looks, it looks exactly the same. It's cleaner. The real French quarter is dirtier. So we're trying <laughs> to get back together, but it is, um, it is cool just to explore and be able to look and really create sort of a digital twin and then play sort of fun games in it. But sorry, go ahead, Eric.
1: Oh yeah, no, I was just going to say you also asked about the uh, the horror studio, and yeah, that's another it's another kind of thing that's on the horizon now. Is we are uh, we are producing kind of original horror films through this other venture, and one of the things that we really want to do is you know kind of utilizing dance company and this kind of overarching partnership that we've put together between the studio and, and Top Right Corner to be able to produce like VR and AR experiences that tie into some of these horror films that we're making. So that's something that we're, you know, it it's kind of stems from the Belko days a little bit and just seeing kind of the popularity of this, you know, VR tie-in kind of taking off and, you know, it's funny because some people say like, "Oh, like I watched, you know, Belko Experiment and then I played the game." And some people say like, "I played the game and that like, you know, then watched Belko Experiment." So there's kind of this like cool kind of universe that that came out of that. Um, so yeah, that's that's what we're excited to do is is kind of bring this partnership to fruition and and you know some of these some of these titles be able to like not just create like a promotional experience for it but really like expand the world of these movies that we're creating in VR and AR.
2: Yeah, and I think that you know video game adaptations back, vice versa, right? So movies that are based on video games and video games that are based on movies I think have gotten a bad rap over history for different reasons. And I think, you know, for us it's about, like, it just has to make sense. And when we made Belko, that movie is sort of a battle royale in an office where like everyone has to like, kill their, their co-workers to survive. And it's like this like dark satire horror comedy. And so an escape room where you have to get out of a room in 15 minutes or your head explodes, like that is very on brand for that movie. And I think that's why the game worked is because it was very, it sold the concept of the movie in a, in, a, in a native format to VR that people liked. And so I think as we think about doing different movies or whatever, and, and games, it's very much, how can we bring something? Maybe it's survivor horror, or maybe it's multiplayer. We want to bring some of those things. You know, there could even be an Atlas port where we bring an element from a different movie into Atlas as a DLC because we own it, right? So it's a thing where (laughs) there could be ways of bringing stuff we've already done seamlessly into other projects. And so I think we just wanna bring, we love VR and we love everything about it. So we will continue to create content and bring stuff from Welcome Villain, which is our horror film company, into other top right corner projects. without sort of a cheesy shared multiverse
0: (laughs) (laughs) that those are some really cool ideas you have and i'm very excited to see the future of where this continues to go uh i want to say a huge thank you for all of you coming on today you've been an absolute pleasure to have here for all of our listeners out there viewers if you're interested, the game is currently $14.99 for the Atlas Mystery and it is on the Oculus Quest App Lab. And as you've heard, it's very hard to find. So we will leave links in descriptions, show notes and everything. <laughs> but thanks to their generosity, we also have an extra copy or two that we'll be giving away on our Discord after this episode airs. So if you want to and you haven't yet joined the Discord, come hang out and you can possibly win a copy of this game. But just one more time, I wanted to say, Dan, Nathan, Eric, thank you so much, everybody, for coming on. We had thank a really you. fun time. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. That no, was great
2: to talk.
4: Yeah, you. Play the game too. The game was awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah and like you.
2: obviously we're you know it's uh, we're, we're shilling for it, but obviously you know at the end of the day, the like you said, maybe it's the two hundred five star reviews and whatever we got to do, you know, to, to get us <laughs> to, to get us there. Because I think as VR developers, um, you know, we want to sink more time and money into making stuff, and I think um, you know whatever we can do to get the game out there. Definitely, we'll yes, see so if you, we can if help. If you
4: play the game and you like the game, make sure to give it a five-star review so it can get the Oculus store. <laughs> Don't give them a glowing review yes. and then four-star them right at the end. Come yeah. on.
0: <laughs> we, need, we need that five. We need that five-star. Yes. so if you're out there and you're listening remember you can stop by the youtube you can see all these awesome guys here hanging out with us you can also comment there and chat with us or if you're watching and you want to get more full dive you can take us anywhere we're on every major podcast platform you can also rate or review us while you're at it giving out some five-star reviews we would love that (laughs) uh and if you've been out there and you're thinking about vr you've been listening you haven't done it yet just dive on in